Viewpoint, weekdays, 8 to 10 p.m. on SAFM. The Viewpoint. Weekdays, 8 to 10 p.m. Songhe Zomapete on The Viewpoint. Stevie Wonder, happy birthday. 10 minutes past 8 in the evening. 
There could only be one day where that song is going to be playing and when I'm around. It's the 7th of May, of course. Welcome to this evening's show, The Viewpoint with myself, the birthday boy. Song is on my back there on SAFM. As always, we're leading the conversation and we're taking your calls throughout the program. Talk about anything, ideally about the things we will be discussing at that particular time. 0891104207. Here's something I haven't done before in my little time that I've been on air in the five or so weeks. If you can guess how old I am, 200 bucks coming your way, and we'll sort this out later on, of course, during the course of the show. Tell me how old I am today, and you stand a chance to win yourself 200 bucks. It's not much, but hey, man, it's going to be a pretty decent slice of cake and a cup of coffee. Song is on my back, they're live on air. Good evening. We're going to talk about something probably a little more sobering, unfortunately, which is very much inconsistent with the joys and privileges of cake and coffee. Poverty and inequality in South Africa. We're in conversation with Dr. Derek Hayde, Chief Research Specialist at the Democracy and Governance Research Program at the HSRC, that's the Human Sciences Research Council. They have written a book titled Poverty and Inequality, Diagnosis, Prognosis and Responses. And this is something that affects and afflicts each and every single South African. The wealthy and the poor alike are as affected by it, but probably not as much threatened the rich as they are who are poor, or at least by definitions of economy and economics. Hmm. State of the Nation 2018 covers the diversity of perspectives that highlight the interrelationship and intersectionality between structural, economic, cultural, and psychosocial dimensions of the South African social experiences. We're in conversation with Dr. Gerard Hage. Doctor, good evening. Good Not evening, Sungasa and uh Happy birthday from my side. Thank you very much. Do you want to take a chance and guess how old I am? <laughs> Let me take a guess. 26. Oh, I wish I was. No, I'm not. I'm not going to confirm whether or not I'm younger or older, uh-huh. but I'm certainly not 26. And there are many other numbers that one can play with. You can try your luck one more time during the course of our conversation, after which your allotted opportunities will be over. But certainly if you are a guest and listening to us at home, wherever you may be, and you want to just take a chance in telling me how old I am, you stand yourself a chance to winning 200 rand into your bank account by the end of tonight's show to get yourself a cup of cappuccino and a big fat slice of cake at a retailer of your choice because the money will be in your account. Dr. Gerard Hage. Let's talk about poverty and inequality, the diagnosis, first of all. In fact, before we even talk about the diagnosis, the book is titled, strangely, State of the Nation, or interestingly, State of the Nation. Talk to us about the title of the book and its writing, its research, why the book was necessary, why the book is necessary for South Africa, particularly in discussion tonight, leading up to arguably the most important aspect of our democracy tomorrow. Yeah. Thank you very much. Um, State of the Nation is a series, a flagship publication by the Human Sciences Research Council, the HSRC, and has been published virtually every year since 2003 uh, in the volumes each time about 20, 25 leading researchers, scholars in the country are invited to provide their insights and the results of their research on social and socioeconomic issues, um, and the HSRC has decided for the 2018 volume, up to the 2023 volume, we will focus on poverty and inequality, uh, for obvious reasons, of course, but 
the main reason why the HSSC is publishing it is that the HSSC is the uh, national research institution that deals with social and humanities research. And in the debates around poverty and inequality, the social issues, the humanities issues, the cultural issues are often underplayed because of the focus on economic factors. 2003, you've been focusing on poverty and inequality. And what is different about this particular publication? What is it that is most striking? Which aspect of the study or of the research that has to have South Africans worried and deeply at that? Yeah. The big, the big issue is 25 years into democracy, we've made considerable co- progress in a number of development issues. But inequality has increased. The difference between uh, the wealth at the upper level of our society has increased in comparison to the lowest, uh, what they call quintiles, the lowest 20%. More than 50% of the South Africans are still living in uh, significant poverty. And we have the highest Gini coefficient, that is the measure of the income difference between highest incomers and lowest incomers, we have the highest Gini coefficient, 7.7 on the scale in the world. So there's a good reason after 25 years to ask ourselves, why is it that we can't get a resolution to poverty, but even more, why don't we get uh, more equality in our society? Two points on that. What is the definition, economic definition, of significant poverty? I know, for instance, other economies or other research spaces talk about those who live on less than a dollar a day, which in South Africa now translates to about 15 rand. Would that be the same definition for significant poverty, or is it something else here? No, what what, uh, the various authors in the book, uh, by the way, there are around 20 chapters in the book, uh, the authors uh, used the measure of 515 rand per month as the minimum, and anyone earning less than that is in what they call deep poverty. And uh, a large number of South Africans are living in that deep poverty of less than 515 rand a month. Yeah. Um, often... Uh, for the reason that in a whole family, there's only one income, often a grant or an, uh, one uh, wage, but that a whole family or of more than one family depends on that income. The Gini coefficient, I mean, for instance, it says that wealth inequality in South Africa is not only intolerably high with Gini coefficients of 093 in 2010-2011 and 0.94 in 2014-15. And then it goes on to say wealth inequality is much higher than income inequality with a Gini coefficient of 0.67. And it goes on to say, can you just make the ordinary South Africans, including myself, understand how to read and understand the Gini coefficient reading of 0.93, that's for wealth inequality, and 0.67 for income inequality? Yeah. Uh, the Gini coefficient is measured out of one. So 
Uh, one is the highest level of inequality. The nearest to coming your measurement to zero, it's the lowest level of inequality. So in, for example, Sweden and the Netherlands, you would find something like 0.4, 0.3, or 0.2. In Africa, it's 0.7 for income. It's 0.9 for wealth. Um, it's, it is one reason why there is an increasing interest in a better understanding of inequality is the fact that wealth increases um, faster than uh, income. For example, if we have an, uh, an income growth of 4% average globally, and we have a 6.5% annual growth of wealth, mm-hmm. that is what people possess, uh, not what they earn. They are often uh, it's uh, wealth that is inherited or created by a very creative uh, way of managing uh, skills. Uh, a typical example of the wealth through uh, inheritance is the Rothschild family uh, in the United States, where the wealth of the family just keeps growing. And uh, the other type of wealth growth is, a typical example is Bill Gates, mm. uh, who through a very inventive and creative way of managing uh, the new digital age since the late 1990s, accumulated wealth. And that uh, wealth difference between the poorest and the richest in the world. Uh, Oxfam made uh, a study or published a study in 2017 where they indicated, for example, that 82% of the wealth of the world is in the possession of 1% of the population. So 1% of all the people in the world have control over 82% of the wealth, and that includes property, it includes uh, shares on, on, on the... There's uh, a number of ways in which wealth is obviously uh, expressed, but that inequality has increased. Uh, it shows a, a serious increase since the 1990s, the year 2000, and it doesn't as if there is a solution or we can't find a solution easily to decrease that inequality level. It's just too much, the difference between the highest earners, the highest wealth owners and the lowest ones. And of all the countries in the world that might compare to that statistic of 1% of the world's population owning as much as 82% of the world's wealth, the country closest to such a reading is South Africa. We're in conversation with Dr. Gerard Hage, who's the Chief Research Specialist in the Democracy and Governance Research Program at the HSRC. We're taking your calls on 0891-104-207. What do you understand and experience about this wealth inequality and income inequality on the everyday? What are your experiences with living on the other side of the tracks, as it were? We're taking your calls for that purpose. Dr. Gerard Hage is here in studio. We'll be back right after this. Call Songhez or now, now. 0891-104-207. We're in conversation with Dr. Derek Hage, Chief Research Specialist in the Democracy and Governance Research Program at the 
HSRC, talking about a book's 2018 version of, titled Poverty and Inequality, Diagnosis, Prognosis and Responses, published under the HSRC. Derek, in 2015, the wealthiest 10% of South Africa's population owned more than 90% of the total wealth in the country, while 80% almost no wealth at all. We are talking about 90 people, 90% of our country's population, in the truest sense, being polar opposites of one another. Some own almost everything. Others own practically nothing. Let's talk about the sustainability of that. Yeah, when you talk about sustainability, you talk about the challenge to sustain a better uh, level of equality. This is not sustainable. It's also the reason why the book was published. There are several chapters that deal with the impacts of such an inequality. Um, a typical example is the whole uh, fees must fall movement of the past two years, where the students come forward, some with valid, some with less valid uh, arguments. But the main thrust behind this was to get access to education for as many people as possible, which we need for a better economy, lies largely beyond the income of most families in this country. So while there, is, uh, there was concern about the violence around the movement, the message is clear unless we get a higher number of people that get access to advanced employment, there's no way in which we can uh, expect a population to accept such a situation. That's the argument in several of the chapters of the book. We cannot wait until this deteriorates to a level where people just continue to respond violently to this reality that they live on the lower end and the lowest end of the income bracket. The violent responses, though... uh, It's just not also not morally acceptable that uh, inequality uh, is, is continued in this way. When you talk about protests and the violence that attends protests, is this not an expression of the frustration, an expression of this crass structural inequality? And outside the violence that attends protests, is there another way to communicate that frustration? for those 80% with practically nothing? Yeah, that is a big question, a big argument around protests. It has been like that for 20, 15 years since most uh, community protests started. The reality in this country is that, indeed, uh, most people don't have a voice that reaches the decision-makers, both in government and in the private sector, and make them respond uh, how true is that? Hang on. Sorry, sorry, Jared. How, yeah, how, yeah. how true is that, that they don't have a voice that reaches those in power? First well, of all, a lot of... Example, if, if, the, if you take many of the uh, protests around service delivery, uh, there are in many cases communities that have been living without adequate services for 25 years now, while in 1995 they were assured that this would be their future. So 
there are, are many uh, explanations for the fact that, uh, for example, services are not adequate. But the reality is that 25 years or 20 years or 15 years of waiting for adequate water or electricity is, uh, is a challenge for anyone to to remain peaceful and waiting quietly until... I, I accept that. I accept that. I, I just want to draw the distinction between yeah. the voice, in other words, the expression of the discontent, and the lack of response from those who have been given the message. This is not per se an issue of, let's call it the poor people, not being able to express their views. They've done that. They've done that significantly, and they've done this for a protracted period of time. Yeah. Surely this is an issue of governance more than it is an issue of people without voices. Let's talk about the fact that government and private sector have not responded to what they know. These people work for them. They live alongside them. If you are in Santon, across the highway, it's Alex. If you are in Hout Bay, across the road is Imiza Moyetu. Yeah, to suggest right. that they don't have voices, even if they yep. didn't have the voices... They've got the physical scars to prove their poverty and destitution to people who are in spaces to make changes and create changes. Yeah. What I meant with, obviously, people have voices and they have voiced their concerns over the years, uh, often to deaf ears on the other side. That's true. Uh, Motivations for retaining your own wealth or your own power, depending on whether you're in governance or the private sector, um, the, the type of worldview that people, that people have is obviously, uh, they find it uh, difficult to relinquish some of that wealth. On the other hand, it's also an, uh, an intricate problem in that uh, much of the wealth in the private sector is linked to shareholders, to international companies. Uh, the moment companies uh, start uh, relinquishing some of their, uh, let's say, their competitiveness, they lose shareholders. Uh, but it's no excuse. I'm just mentioning how the reasoning is on the other side. Uh, yeah, and the other challenge that exists, I can just refer to issues around, for example, here around uh, education, and uh, but it also applies to the situation in the townships. Uh, at the university, there are only a number, a certain number of lecturers, a certain number of seats in uh, lecture halls. Uh, there are a number of uh, dormitories where students can live. Mm. Uh, to, to change that takes time, and if you obviously postpone that for a number of years, then you create a bottleneck, and that bottleneck can become explosive because the pressure from students or pressure from communities keeps increasing. That's the reality. It's one reason why the volume tries to look beyond economic solutions and also looks at issues around identity, around dignity, uh, the whole issue around black pain, fact that there is an uh, uh, inherited economic structure in this country which is very tough to crack because the, the power is in the hands of uh, a limited number of, of people. Um, yeah, and it's worldwide, it's a problem that, that 
can't be fast tracked. It's, uh, you can push more and more spaces, for example, into universities. But ultimately, it's also the output of the university students and their entry into the employment market. And we increasingly find that graduates don't find a place in the Let me engage that. Let me engage that. And just for the listeners at home, we're in conversation with Dr. Gerard Hage, who is the Chief Research Specialist in the Democracy and Governance Research Program at the Human Sciences Research Council. We are taking your calls on 0891-104-207. If you have any contribution as it pertains to poverty and inequality in South Africa, we would thoroughly love your thoughts. Where are you? What are you experiencing? What is your take on the situation? More importantly, what are the remedies that you believe the incoming administration that's the sixth administration that will effectively get its mandate from what everybody hopefully will do in South Africa tomorrow. Structural inequality in South Africa. D- Gerard, two questions, both of them are political. Yeah. How much of what we enjoy now, or the yoke of what we have now, how much of that can be directly attributed to apartheid and colonialism before that, from a structural perspective? Okay, let me take that on first. Um, the, the, there are about five chapters in the book that deal specifically with what they call the structured inequality, with the uh, starting from uh, the late 1700s, 1800s, where uh, colonialism worldwide, but especially for us, for our attention in South Africa, where the uh, colonialism, uh, colonialist powers took over the resources, took over decision-making processes, took over land, and that persisted in South Africa. And indeed, under apartheid, was structured. Uh, A very simple example is uh, job reservation between 1930-1940 and 1986, where uh, Africans were just not allowed to do specific jobs, and those were often the well-earning jobs. Uh, So there is a a lot of evidence in the book around the structured inequality, the legacy of colonialism and apartheid. And to break that down uh, within a global context where those power struggles continue uh, is a major challenge to, to the government. Second question, before we go to Mr. Mlambo in Van der Bell Park and Willie and Christiana in the Northwest, how much of the socio-economic policies of the ANC of the last 25 years have added to this burden that they inherited in 1994? Or, if the opposite is true, how much have they done to alleviate what you've just recently lamented? Okay, let me, let me start with the second one, because we must also uh, agree that the ANC, as the governing party, has brought in an alleviation in terms of absolute poverty through the social grant system. We yes. all know that over 70 million people receive a type of social grant every month. That prevents uh, a, a decline into poverty, which would have, have just not been acceptable to anyone in, in this world. So, yes, they have done uh, a lot around uh, social grants. The major problem is that the ANC is, was a new uh, government, 1994, 1995, which still had to learn a lot about how a government administration takes place. And part of the problem there is that many of the 
cadres that were appointed did not have the type of experience on a macro level, but also on a local level. Uh, one mistake that I think was made at that stage that there was too early a promotion of an exit of experienced white uh, civil servants out of the civil service, so the new guard had to take decisions on their own without the necessary experience. Uh, and then the, the second major issues that over the past nine years we've had an administration which was completely unclear about their policies. So a large number of policies have been developed. Uh, South Africa is known for some of the most advanced policies worldwide, but the implementation of those policies has been less than satisfactory, and it has a lot to do with uh, the moral values around those who have to implement policies. All right. Um, yeah. No, I, I want us to go to Van der Bell Park where we have Mr. Mlambo on the line and immediately after that in Christiana in the Northwest we will have Willie. Mr. Mlambo? Hello. Yes, sir. Hello, how are you? Fine, thanks. Your point? Oh, okay. My point is to say, okay, right, if we can look at the few which owns the wealthy, you can see now, okay, right, they do have, they do have, I mean, groups when they are sitting and planning to say, okay, right, how can they prevent the majority from coming and competing against them? Each and every time there is a shift where they are always planning. So when they are always planning, you can find those few people who are, they go into the, I mean, into the media, they go into every part to say, okay, right, what happens even if there are some, any other competitors who want to come and compete with them? They, I mean, they will have, I mean, advanced so much. So if you can find, I mean, the owners of wealth, they should have just, instead of giving the people the food, they should have just helped the people to train them. So that when they train them, then the people can fend for themselves. Because now it will reach like a balloon. If a balloon wants to burst, it bursts and bursts and bursts. And now I've been taking into consideration when you see those people who are saying, okay, right, it's otherwise land or die. Those people, I mean, when you go there, but now there are some other people, like the Afro Forum, like the other people who benefited. They are so much preventing the people, the poor, to serve. They must not come and be compete. I mean, on the I mean, on the economy of the country. And in the last, in other countries, this is what is called civil wars. Let's prevent it. The only way to prevent it is to bring all those people to come to be, I mean, to enjoy the wealth of a country. Even, the, I mean, the economic, I mean, let's say a person who comes there and says, okay, I'm an analyst. You find these analysts, some of them, they've been bought. An analyst must say, okay, right, I'm an independent analyst. Who is paying the analyst? And now the rent is going up. If an analyst says, okay, uh, Ramaphosa must win. When he wins, the runs will go up. But the analyst himself, him not, he has to give a description of himself to say, okay, right, as an, I'm an, an analyst here, can everybody check my analysis? 
that as something which is not biased because now the analysts themselves are bought, the legal department are bought, everybody to sell care right as an analyst. Who is paying the analyst? Yeah, sure. We get the, the point book. around that. Yeah. Mr. Mnambo, thank you. We have to move on. But thank, I'm sorry to have to cut you. Let's take Willie and Christiana in the Northwest just to get some of the, tra- the traffic that's coming through in the, in the form of voice calls. Willie? Yes, quick, quick, uh, uh, um, uh, and uh, good evening. Um, and first, uh, let me guess, uh, happy birthday to you as well. And then maybe. Was it I thought you'd never say uh, that. Maybe. Maybe you, you'd be uh, uh, thirty-four years old. I don't know. Thirty-four. So, <laughs> oh, oh, oh. No cigar. Not too bad. Not too bad. Okay. No cigar. Okay. You missed out on the two hundred bucks. Your point, please. Sure. Thank you. Yes. Yes. Quick, quick, quick. And now, so you took two points of mine. The the the, the effect of these imbalances in wealth and also the cause of poverty. Of which is, is, is colonialism and apartheid. I was just going to ask whether the research or the book is going to 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 to, to drive us back uh, 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 where actually the, the root cause of these imbalances and inequality. So now your guest uh, and yourself as well asking me about colonialism and apartheid, they're uncovered. Now my question, quick, is this: this this imbalances uh, in regard to wealth. That causes poverty. Is it? Is it? Is it? Is it between between whites and blacks against whites to blacks or blacks on on blacks? Thank you very much. Short and precise. KGM lost caller from Mtata before we take an ad break. Good evening, Sonia. So, good day, boy. Good evening Thank to you. your guests, to the listeners, and, the, and to your crew. So, yes, let, let's, mm. let's get it straight here. You said you want to have beneficiary of. What you are talking about? You see, the mistake that we make, uh, uh, and to all of us, is this: we we like sugar coating a lot. Now we have somebody who has benefited. Who keeps on referring to other people that are benefiting, maybe at the same level, if not worse than how he benefited. But it doesn't preclude the fact that he has benefited. What we should be hearing is when somebody has benefited like him, as an example, and I'm not being personal, I'm being sexual. You should come and not tell us what others are doing. You should say, I must be example. This is what I'm doing. So this is ISKGM. I'll tell you so as what I do. What can he tell us what he has done? The beneficiation of the system beyond reasonable doubt. We know how it has benefited the, those who are were privileged, who continue to be privileged. Now, the second point is this. The biggest mistake that we made was to entrust our lives and our future in the hands of people who have been bought, whether through academic methods or, or economic methods or whatever it is that belonged to the past. If you look at the economics of today, there's no difference between the economics of today and the economics of yesterday. Now, Africans, South Africans in the main, that's why South Africa is content. Black, white, pink, temple, or whatever. For as long as we are harboring this notion of lies, and, and we allow ourselves to mislead each other like your guest is misleading himself and come here and tell us facts which are, are, are concocted, we are not going to resolve the, 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 the problem. It is going to take up some years, as I as a departing shot. It is going Thank to you so take much. us to this. Uh, uh, so, yes, let me just finish this. It is going to take us to this point. Uh, your guests must get this. 
You cannot, and it is English, you must understand it. You cannot reason with an empty stomach. So, yes, thanks for taking my call. Thank you so much, KGM. Gerard, stay on the line. We're going to take a quick ad break, and then I'll give you the balance of five minutes thereafter to wrap up this conversation in specific response to that, particularly the last point. Stay tuned. This is what tap dancing sounds like on a normal day. And this is what tap dancing sounds like on 10 May. No matter what you do, don't forget Slipper Day on 10 May. Support Reach for a Dream by wearing your slippers on Slipper Day 2019. Not all heroes wear capes, so get a wristband from slipperday.co.za and help us make dreams come true. Reach for a dream, inspiring hope. This is an SABC-supported initiative. Political parties have delivered their manifestos, and now it's time for you to make sense of it all. From campaigning to declarations. Let's speak to the people on the ground. We are sick of crying. Interesting comments coming from the ground there. SABC News delivers unrivaled, unrestrained covering. The benefit is not to the ethics industry, it is to them. Giving you the platform to express your views. I want more job opportunities. SABC News will be live from all corners of the country. You will get expert analysis in all languages, party reactions, and the true story behind the numbers. It's all about the numbers. Across four TV stations, 19 radio stations, and online platforms. SA Decides 2019. SABC News, independent, impartial. The Viewpoint, 8 to 10 p.m. Flipping conventional wisdom on its head. On The Viewpoint. Gerard, your responses? It was a bit of a variety of uh, issues that were raised, but... Uh, let me start with the one issue that uh, Mishambul mentioned around the owners of wealth and the need for them to become more active in the training of people. Uh, we all know that access to the labor market depends on skills and experience, and indeed uh, there should be much more investment in that, in that area about linking employment with training. Uh, the one problem that is also mentioned in the book is that it's very difficult to understand how training can link to uh, a labor market that is moving faster than what we thought. And uh, I think, for example, about the fourth industrial revolution that comes in. So uh, while we all know quite well that there is a need, the solutions are pretty difficult to find because we need time and there is no time. Uh, the issue around equality, is it mainly white versus black? Yes. At this stage, it is still uh, racially determined. But there is a growing uh, middle class from the African uh, part of our society. The problem is, and that links to all three questions, the new, uh, let's say, the new middle class and upper class that is growing um, is taking the same attitudes as the older one that is often uh, mentioned with reference to the white capitalism. And that the reality is that people tend to become greedy as soon as they make it better than others in life. And we've had uh, uh, a number of years now, we have the Zonda Commission where a number of those issues are being addressed. The reality is that 
if somebody is in power, they tend to change. And uh, if you now look at, if I understood the last question from uh, from Kizan, uh well, what do we do to address that? He I said, think, "What do uh, you do? What what I do? Yeah, I personally, that, those were I, his words. Yeah. Well, uh, my main job, eight to ten hours a day, is to search for, first of all, a better understanding of this problem, and secondly, to at uh, support my colleagues in the HSC to find better policy solutions to, to this. I personally have been working for the past eight years on issues around um, the relationship between traditional leadership and local government, which is a major issue affecting over 18 million people in this country, has not been resolved. I think what he was really asking, sorry to interrupt as, you there, Gerald, on was... Me, as a, on a, at a personal level, yeah, no, I, I, think, I think what he was really asking. Sorry, let me interrupt you. What okay, he was yeah, really the, probing. The, the sound was the sound was very weak, so I was not a hundred percent sure what what the gist okay. was. What Literally, I mean, and I really have to move on from this point yeah. because we have to wrap up this conversation. But the crux of his question was: reports and studies are one thing. What do you? And he was saying to you, as a white person who's a beneficiary of this inequality, do you do to break up? the inequality? What do you do in your everyday exchanges and contracts and contacts with the people and society and inequality do you do to address your studies? Okay. Build capacity. It's the big, big, big issue. Uh, For many years I've been training artists in the townships to organize themselves better, Uh, spend a lot of time sharing my experience in the arts sector and the uh, um, local government sector with them. Uh, on a daily basis, I am still advising artists and uh, youth from the, the townships in how to improve their own capacity because ultimately no one can change your life for you unless you are the one who starts the uh, agency, as they call it in our uh, academic language. People must take responsibility for their future. And people who have that skill must share that with others. And that's why, uh, for me, it's ultimately important to share my knowledge, my experience, as much as possible with those who need it. All right. Thank you so much. We'll have to leave it there, Dr. Gerard Hage, who's the Chief Research Specialist in the Democracy and Governance Research Program at the HR. HSRC. We're going to cross now very quickly after the break to the Department of Home Affairs, particularly talking about the Stellenbosch paperless office with the spokesperson for the Ministry of Home Affairs, that is Mr. Sia Goza. We'll be back right after this.